for more than 40 years, the Pro Football Hall of Fame speeches have been my personal State of the Union address. I love football. It means the world to me. Faith, family, and football truly shape my worldview. Yesterday, for the first time in a long time, I felt better about the state of our union. Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, John Lynch, Alan Fanica, and Tom Flores were all deservedly inducted into the hall on Sunday. The day before, the NFL enshrined 20 other men into Canton. The large Saturday ceremony was partially because COVID wiped out the 2020 ceremony. It was also oversized because the world has turned soft, lowered its standards, and fears offending anyone. We'd rather diminish the prestige of the Hall of Fame than fend off the complaints of a few entitled football players. Whatever. Saturday's circus did not stop my enjoyment of Sunday's festivities. Football's Hall of Fame speeches are my barometer for the mood of men. Based on what I heard from Manny, Johnson, Lynch, and Fanica, the mood of men is moving more toward responsibility, accountability, and action. Manny talked about protecting and supporting the game of football. Johnson discussed helping men and women who live with pain. Lynch called on athletes to be leaders in promoting unity. Fanica, who suffers epilepsy, spoke about not letting your obstacles keep you from your goals. Take a listen. When we leave this stage tonight, it is no longer about us. It is about cultivating the game that has given so much to us. It's about nurturing football to live and thrive another day, another year, decade, and another generation. It's about guaranteeing that kids everywhere can learn, bond, grow, and have fun. My journey through life and sports has led me to a point of pursuing a new legacy. For me, that legacy is improving quality of life for athletes and others. For those who are out there suffering in silence and living in pain, for those who feel like there's no hope for better days, with my partnerships, I'm committed to helping people elevate their wellness. Each of us comes from a different walk of life, but when we huddle up, we huddle up as a team. It doesn't matter where we come from or your background. All that matters is the fulfillment of one goal, victory. Tonight, I advocate that we take the lead of football and huddle up as a people, as a great nation. Let's find the common ground through our shared values. Let's celebrate and learn from our differences. I knew as long as I listened to my doctors and followed their guidance, along with a strong support system, I would be fine. I have always told myself and spoken about the fact that epilepsy is part of me but it does not define me. Their speeches conveyed a message of personal responsibility. This is, generally speaking, always a theme when successful people relive what defined their success. However, in the previous two hall ceremonies, the mood of men was heavily influenced by fraudulent social media activism and narcissism. Wide receiver Terrell Owens skipped the entire 2018 ceremony. Frustrated that he wasn't a first ballot inductee, Owens held a private ceremony at his former college. Fellow receiver Randy Moss wore a tie with the names of black men and women he argued were victims of racist police brutality. In 2019, defensive back Champ Bailey ended his speech calling himself an expert on blackness 
and scolding anyone who didn't support his narrative on racial justice. Listen to Champ from 2019. But we are all black men first. Something we have more expertise in than any aspect of our lives. I'm a firm believer that if you want to create change, you better start with your friends and your family. So I'm starting here today. The first thing people see when they look at me is not a pro football hall of famer or a husband or a father. They view me first as a black man. So on behalf of all the black men that I've mentioned tonight and many more out there who've had the most of the same experience that I've, I've had in my lifetime, we say this to all of our white friends. When we tell you about our fears, please listen. When we tell you we're afraid for our kids, please listen. When we tell you there are many challenges we face because of the color of our skin, please listen. And please do not get caught up in how the message is delivered. And to my black brothers, if you do not have anything positive to say about our social challenges, please keep your mouth shut. Yep. Some of the greatest football players of all time turned the Hall of Fame ceremony into the Victimhood Olympics. On Sunday, from the men who, des who deserved to make it to the Hall of Fame, Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, John Lynch, Alan Fanica, and Tom Flores, I heard no cries of victimhood. I heard examples of how determined you have to be to make it in this world. That's what we need to hear right now. That's what I'm used to hearing at the Hall of Fame. As a kid, before there was an ESPN or an NFL network, we would only get to see highlights of the speeches during halftime of the Hall of Fame exhibition game. So when we saw bits and pieces of what Dick Buckus and Johnny United said in 1979 or what Deacon Jones said a year later. I know I found the highlights inspiring. I would immediately make my mother listen to the speech I planned to deliver three decades later when I joined football idols in immortality. Now, the Hall of Fame ceremony is a major TV production. Far more than the contrived ESPY Awards, football's Hall induction ceremony is the Academy Awards for sports. It has become sports' greatest annual celebration. The inductees give emotional and profound speeches. To the best of their abilities, grown men express sincere gratitude to the people who helped them fulfill a lifelong dream. It's the equivalent of a dead person announcing at their funeral that they're in heaven and that they briefly return to earth to thank the people who steered them on their journey to the pearly gates. You smile, laugh, cry, and applaud while watching the ceremony. Maybe this year's ceremony pivoted to substance and facts because of the time constraints placed on the speakers. They were instructed to keep their speeches to six minutes. Most of them spoke for about 10 breaking the recent traditions of inductees speaking as long as 30 and 40 minutes. Now, 
I loved every minute of Ray Lewis's passionate 30-minute speech and every second of Tony Gonzalez's composed 40-minute speech. But brevity sparks discipline and focus. It eliminates time to virtue signal and grandstand. It eliminates narcissism. There's only time to say what you really mean. It feels like we're running short on time to rescue the American values that made us free and unique. It's time for men to say what they really mean. So that was me talking about the Hall of Fame speech and why I'm inspired. Let's move to Tuesday when I talked about the American racism rush and analogized it to the California gold rush. Got to tell you, this is one of my favorite fire starters. If an accurate history is ever written, we will remember this time of racial upheaval as an aftershock of the 1849 California gold rush. Let me explain. Gold is not scarce. Its high value is derived from the difficulty in finding it and the costly production process to produce the metal. Racial bias, it's not scarce. We all produce it. Progress and enlightenment have helped us combat and conceal our biases, making racism far more difficult to find and even harder to produce the systemic racism that once plagued our laws and American customs. Racism is now a form of gold, a high value, precious element desperately hunted by race miners, sometimes called race baiters. The discovery of racism greatly enriches the miner. Black Lives Matter founder Patrice Cullors turned Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and other dead black men into a pot of gold that allowed her to purchase four luxury homes across America. Sean King, the internet social activist known as Martin Luther Cream, tricked Oprah Winfrey into paying for him to attend a historically black university and has spent the past decade raising millions of dollars as a racism speculator. Lawyer Ben Crump is arguably America's richest race miner. He negotiated multi-million dollar settlements for the family of St. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many other families whose relatives have been killed while resisting arrest. Yesterday, Crump celebrated the fact that Minnesota real estate listings won't be using the phrase master bedroom because it painfully reminds black people of slavery. I'm not joking. Crump tweeted verbatim, words matter. Good to see Minnesota phasing out the use of master bedroom in real estate listings. Many associated with slavery, a repetitive reminder of plantation life. Together, we can create more inclusive, aware communities. You know what? I wanna read that again. I forgot, go back, I wanna read that again. I want to, I, I forgot, I wanted to do this in Ben Crump's voice, if I can. I don't know if I can. Words don't matter. Good to see Minnesota fade out. The use of the master bedroom in real estate listings. Many associated with slavery, a repetitive reminder of plantation life. Together, we can create more inclusive, aware communities. That's Ben Crump. The allure of mining for racism is that it requires no intelligence or integrity. 
An idiot can do it and make a fortune. Crump is exhibit A. But it's not just individuals who pan for racism. Major corporations prospect for it too. On Sunday, the Colorado Rockies released a statement accusing one of their fans of shouting the N-word at a Florida Marlins player standing in the batter's box. Let me read from the Rockies statement. The Colorado Rockies are disgusted at the racial slur by a fan directed at the Marlins' Lewis Brinson during the ninth inning of today's game. Although the subject was not identified prior to the end of the game, the Rockies are still investigating this incident. The Rockies have zero tolerance for any form of racism or discrimination, and any fan using derogatory language of any kind will be ejected and banned from Coors Field. Problem is, turns out the fan was shouting for the attention of Colorado's mascot, whose name is Dinger. There's video and audio proof of the accused fan waving at and shouting toward Dinger. Take a listen. Brinson never heard, that's the baseball player who was standing in the batter's box, he never heard or reacted to the alleged racial slur. The Rockies issued a new statement on Monday admitting the fan did nothing wrong. As of Monday evening, the Rockies had not issued an apology to the fan. We are living in the American racism rush. Citizens turned prospectors are getting rich mining for racism. It is analogous and connected to the California gold rush. In January of 1848, a sawmill operator, James Marshall, discovered gold 35 miles east of Sacramento. Marshall's discovery ignited a gold rush and a transformational migration to the Golden State. In 1849, approximately 90,000 men descended on Northern California in search of their riches. The migration turned California from an ignored, sleepy territory to a boom state almost overnight. Two years after Marshall's discovery, California was admitted into the Union. The 49ers, the nickname for the men who rushed to California, were lawless, greedy, and uncivilized. They overwhelmed Native Americans, running the indigenous people out of their hunting and fishing grounds. The Indians starved or they were massacred by the guns used by the 49ers. The influx of men seeking gold created another California complication, a shortage of women. Boatloads of men docked in the Bay Area and settled in San Francisco. With few women in town, cross-dressing and gay sex became quite popular in San Francisco. Greed and sexual deviancy began their rulership of Northern California 170 years ago. The people who acquired the most wealth and power during the gold rush weren't the miners. The men who built businesses to exploit the miners amassed generational wealth. A man named Sam Branham became California's first millionaire. At an exorbitant markup, he sold prospectors the equipment they needed to mine gold. Levi Strauss moved to San Francisco to sell dry goods to miners and later sold them work pants and overalls and blue jeans. George Hearst, the father of publishing kingpin William Randolph Hearst, he got rich during the gold rush. 
Twitter's Jack Dorsey and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg are the modern day Sam Branham and Levi Strauss. The Silicon Valley tech titans own the platforms that promote, traffic, and sell racism gold. They've become powerful millionaires because of the American racism rush. Their platforms celebrate, advocate for, and spread the values established in Northern California in 1849. We, those of us who believe in God, traditional values, and this country's founding documents, we are the indigenous people being starved, pushed aside, and massacred. The San Francisco 49ers rule America. Now that's a fact. Mm. I love listening to that myself all over again. I kept the fire burning on Wednesday. Florida Marlins outfielder Lewis Brinson, he kept chasing that racism gold. He said he listened 50 times to the audio tape and kept hearing the uh, Colorado Rockies fans shouting the N-word. I don't buy it. Listen to this fire starter. Let's get it rolling. Let's talk about Lewis Brinson, the Florida Marlins center fielder, who absolutely loves the little pot of racism fool's gold he discovered Sunday in Colorado. The marginal fifth year player is intent on passing off pyrite racism as the real thing. For those of you who don't know, pyrite is fake gold. Despite the Rockies acknowledging that they wrongly accused one of their fans of shouting the N-word behind home plate, Brenton isn't ready to let this situation go. He's yet to milk it for all its potential riches. So, you can hear it for yourself, you can hear it in your own words. Listen to this clip as he tries to milk this situation. Uh, so I've watched the video at least 50 times in the past, uh, you know, 15, 16 hours. Um, watched it a lot, uh, you know, especially when I heard that, um, you know, he said dinger instead of the N-word. Um, I personally, uh, this is again, my personal opinion. Um, I personally keep hearing the N-word. Um, it's not that I want to hear it. Uh, I'd never want to hear that word. Um, personally, I've never been called that um, in person to my face on the baseball field. Um, outside the baseball field ever. He watched the video at least 50 times? No, seriously, who watches a video 50 times looking for a word that you didn't hear when it was actually shouted at you or allegedly shouted at you in real life? He never wanted to hear the N word? The hell he didn't. Why was he listening to it 50 times? Brinson definitely wants to hear it. There's no other explanation for a 20-year-old, 27-year-old healthy person sticking an audio tape to their ear 50 times over the past 15 to 16 hours unless they want to hear the N-word. He's claiming like, oh, I heard the n Stop it. That's because you want to hear it. If someone's looking off in another direction, and shouting some word and waving to a mascot. Uh, just stop. Let me, let me add this though. L just let me go give you a little bit of context because I'm 
going back to my column yesterday, in case you missed it, you know, the Colorado Rockies mascot whose name, nickname is Dinger, the fan was seated right behind home plate and he was with his grandkids and he claimed he shouted for and waved at the mascot because he wanted his grandkids to take a picture with the mascot. His explanation makes perfect sense. It's backed by video and audio proof. But, as I explained in yesterday's column, racism is a new form of gold. Like gold, allegations of racism have a super high value because of the difficulty in finding it. Its shiny, attention-grabbing, image-enhancing impact is nearly impossible to match. Just think, some dude walks into a club, big gold chain on, everybody makes the assumption, oh man, he's special. He must be rich. He's different. He's cool. He's something, big gold chain. Same way we feel about racism now. Oh my God, if I'm a victim of racism, he's special. He's cool. He's a, uh, a different type of person or a superior type of person than everybody else. Let's just think about how powerful allegations of racism are. Think of this. An allegation of racism turned career criminal and drug addict George Floyd into the second coming of Martin Luther King Jr. Just oh, think about that. George Floyd, career criminal, fentanyl addict, in a t-shirt, passing off a fake $20 bill, high as a kite behind the wheel of a car. In an instant, in nine minutes, he becomes Martin Luther King Jr. Had a black police officer kneeled on St. George's neck and shoulders no one would know George Floyd's name. There certainly wouldn't be murals and statues commemorating the last nine minutes of his life. That's how transformative racism gold is, even when it's fool's gold. And I know many of you are gonna hear that and think, oh, here go Whitlock again, taking a dump on St. George Floyd. But I'm just sorry. We've gone way too far with the adulation, celebration, veneration of George Floyd. It's a joke. It's a tragedy. What happened to him? He played a gigantic part in contributing to that tragedy with his actions. But there's no damn reason to turn this guy into the second coming of Martin Luther King Jr. because a white police officer kneeled on his neck and shoulders for nine minutes and the combination of fentanyl and COVID in his system, along with the police officer on his shoulder and neck, caused him to die. Everybody played a role in George Floyd's death. It wasn't just Derek Chauvin. George Floyd played a role in that. Let me get back to Lewis Brinson. He wants to turn this controversy into his brand building moment. No one outside of Miami knew who Brinson was before this controversy. Brinson realizes racial victimization could make him a household name. He went as far as suggesting the Rockies should change the name of their mascot because Dinger sounds too similar to the N-word. I, I just, 
He wants them to change the name of the mascot because his ears are so tender and sensitive that if he hears a word that sounds like it, if someone, oh, hey, uh, Lou Brinson, you're a dead ringer for Bubba Wallace. You're a dead ringer for Justy Smollett. That's what Lou Brinson is. He's the second coming of Bubba, Bubba Wallace in the noose incident. Wallace is the NASCAR driver who in 2020 claimed someone hung a noose in his garage at Talladega Speedway. Noose turned out to be a simple rope with a knot used to pull the garage door shut. The noose had been on the garage door since at least 2019. Wallace leaned into the racial incident and landed television interviews across cable news. He significantly increased his popularity, got sponsorship deals, and became a big deal in NASCAR because he pretended like, oh my God, there's a rope. It's on the garage door. It's got a little hook or noose, whatever the hell it is. But wasn't nobody trying to threaten Bubba Wallace. No one cares. Bubba Wallace, and I'm, people get tired of me making this point, but I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it, I don't care. Because I'm standing on rock solid ground. I don't have any problem with interracial dating, mixed kids, any of that. But too many of them are opportunists. Too many of them want to pan for this racism gold and, 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 and pretend like they're the blackest people on the earth and they're not. I initially tried to jump on board with Bubba Wallace before uh, any of this silliness about the noose jumped off. But then he does the silliness with the noose stuff and I go, here we go. Another mixed race dude trying to be Malcolm X. Bubba Wallace, not a thoroughbred just got engaged. He didn't marry Becky Shabazz. He ain't engaged to Becky. He's, oh, no, I'm sorry, he is engaged to Becky, not Betty. He passed over all the Betty Shabazzes and found him a Becky. Hats off to you, brother. If that's what you like, I, mind you, your mama, I get it. But all this fake BS of being down and oh, I'm a victim of racism, they hung a noose and blah, 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 all that BS, it's just opportunism. Brinson is panning for the same racism fool's goal that worked for Wallace. Brinson admitted he was completely unaware of the shouts during the game. He never reacted to the shouts because he never heard them. So why in the hell would you go hunt for them after the game? Why would you go to the audio tape and listen to it 50 times over a 14 hour period. It makes no sense unless you understand the value of racial victimization. Brinson certainly does. He bragged about the attention he's receiving, saying, quote, I'm getting a lot of love and support on Instagram and I'm sure on Twitter. And I appreciate that wholeheartedly. 100%. That's what this is all about. Attention. I, I, I give Lou Brinson credit for admitting it. 
He's loving the attention. He's getting on Instagram and I'm sure over Twitter. I am somebody, I feel important, I'm special. Racism almost touched me. I'm Kunta Kente. The guy shouting at Dinger, the mascot, that's damn near the same as getting my foot cut off like Kunta Kente. Oh my God, I'm almost Emmett Till. An old white man sitting behind home plate is shouting for the mascot and he yelled a word that almost sounded like the N-word. I didn't hear it, but oh my God, it was so painful. Can't you feel my pain? We gotta stop this clownish bullshit. All the people tweeting at, reaching out over Instagram, what are you supporting? Nothing happened. Brinson admitted he never heard the shouts when they happened. The dude went on to say, no one has ever called him the N-word to his face. This dude is in his mid-20s earning nearly $600,000 for playing a game. He's not oppressed. He's not in need of some special level of support. He claimed he had sympathy for the Rockies fan who's been falsely accused of this. And you know, he hoped he doesn't add to this. He doesn't have any sympathy for this dude. He wants to exploit that fan and the situation for his own benefit. Lewis Brinson is a high class, juicy Smollett. Brinson is manufacturing racism because he can't find it anywhere else, just like Juicy Smollett. Cause trust me, if people were dropping the N-word on him, white people, he wouldn't be worried about going to some audio tape and like, oh my God, please, can I hear? I keep hearing the N-word, I'm sorry. He wouldn't be doing that. He wouldn't need to go hunt for it on an audio tape. The dude's living a life of privilege, fun, and wealth. I think, again, he's in his fifth year. I think that's a critical year for Major League Baseball for and in terms of getting really paid. And I, I, this is a contract leverage move. He's trying to hype himself, trying to be worthy of endorsements, trying to increase his leverage in Major League Baseball. And he's exploiting some old white man with grandkids that's at a baseball game with all these damn cameras, microphones, and smartphones everywhere. And we think this old white man is dumb enough to sit behind home plate and shout the N-word at baseball players? Lou Brinson might be that stupid, but I can guarantee you Ain't nobody lived that long to have grandkids. They're not that damn stupid. They may be racist, and maybe the guy is, but he ain't stupid enough to show up at a Rockies baseball game, sit behind home plate with cameras, microphones, and cell phones everywhere, and shout the N-word. The damn grand dragon of the KKK wouldn't be that damn stupid. In 2021, 
with everything that's going on, all these false allegations and all, you can barely say any damn thing without somebody getting offended. Ben Crump wants to outlaw the word master bedroom. And we think white people, grown ass white people are showing up at major league baseball games with all them dark skinned Dominicans and African-Americans and Latinos out on the field. Yeah, this is where I'm gonna go to shout the N-word. This is not 1930s America. I know Brinson wants it to be. He wants it to be 1821. But it's just not. All this praying for racism that these race miners and fortune chasers and attention star people are doing, they're praying, oh my God, please bring back slavery so I can whine and cry and, 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 and make money off of it. This is all, as I said yesterday, and I, I, you know, I went on Tucker Carlson's show last night and uh, talked about my column yesterday. And, and, and I just wanna reset that about the analogy I made between the American racism rush and how analogous it is to the California gold rush. It's, it, they're the same thing. This, the thought of getting rich off that gold made a bunch of people move, a bunch of men move to Northern California in pursuit of that. I'm looking at a bunch of black and white people constantly trying to play the race car and trying to find, I got racism over here. We struck racism, come look. LeBron James, oh my God, they painted the N-word on the back of my $20 million mansion. Come look, I'm a victim. Now I'm, I'm like, LeBron James sat on national TV or in a press conference and compared himself to Emmett Till's mother and I damn near fell out. Because on his $20 million mansion, he's in Los Angeles when he's in Cleveland, Ohio. He analogized himself to Emmett Till's mother because someone allegedly wrote the N-word on the gate of his $20 million Brentwood mansion. He never saw it. They never showed it to the media. They allegedly removed it before the police could co come and investigate. But somehow, he's like Emmett Till's mama. Do you think Emmett Till's mama went and picked up the body before the police could investigate? Nothing to see here, I just, just trust me, they killed my son. We removed the body, we buried him. We'll tell you about it later. Do you think the pain of losing your 15-year-old son to that kind of violence is in any way analogous to having the N-word allegedly spray-painted on your garage door or entrance gate? You don't even know who did it. Hell, it, probably more likely a black kid did it if it happened, which 
we damn, anybody with common sense knows it didn't happen. It was just LeBron, look, same thing Lou Brinson's doing. This is, we have, my next analogy is gonna be, and it'll piss people off, but like, this racism thing is like the, uh, the, the COVID pandemic. It's a pandemic, it's just everywhere. And it's all a contract play by elites and people trying to make more money. It's just a public relations move. A few weeks ago, I wrote about the former ESPN host, Maria Taylor. In her little desperate contract push over the last year, she smeared Drew Brees, the Saints quarterback. You know, went off on him on TV because the dude defended the national anthem and she acted like, oh my God, he done sold black people out. He done said something in defense of the national anthem and George Floyd, the drug addict, just died. How, how long are we gonna allow people who would never allow George Floyd inside their house to use George Floyd to try to advance their careers? If George Floyd came up out of the grave today and knocked on Maria Taylor's door, she'd run inside and call the police. But she used Drew Brees and tried to beat his brains in and smear him because he wanted to defend the national anthem. Then she turned around, smeared her coworker, Dave Lamont, for saying, look, man, Joy Taylor and all these other black people on here bitching on this conference call. Wasn't doing nothing but telling the truth. And Rachel Nichols smeared her because she's gossiping with a friend uh, because she's upset Maria Taylor got a job that Rachel Nichols wanted. That's what everybody does. Think Maria Taylor ain't never had no conversations with her friends, with her black friends, about some of her white co-workers and things that she felt like they got because they was white? We gotta cut this out. This is all a money grab. All of it. It's a bunch of elites using poor black people to get ahead. That's why I analogize it to the California gold rush. Bunch of poor people ran out to California, bunch of poor desperate dudes ran out to California chasing after money. And, and, and the only people that really made money were the people that exploited the miners mining for gold. That's who made, Levi Strauss, Sam Brandon, they made the real money selling goods and services to the miners. The miners made a little money and then it went away real quick. It was all an exploitation play. Yesterday, I ended my column referencing the San Francisco 49ers. I was subtly trying to make a point that the nickname of the San Fran's football team is taken from the 1849 California migrators who in the pursuit of gold, pillaged, plundered, and slaughtered Native Americans. The Washington Redskins had to scrap their mascot, which many people believe celebrated Native American culture. But the Redskins had to scrap their mascot because 
Allegedly, it was offensive. Baseball's Cleveland Indians, now the Cleveland Guardians. They scrapped their mascot too, for the same reason. Allegedly, the Indians, that's offensive. But celebrating the 49 the guys who in 1849 took advantage of and bullied Native Americans, that's positive. That's a good thing. The men of the California Gold Rush were as greedy and as unethical as Lewis Brinson, Bubba Wallace, and Maria Taylor. But let's celebrate them. Let's call the San Francisco 49ers the 49ers in celebration of a bunch of greedy, uncivilized, manipulative, desperate men. You know who reflects those values? Brinson, Wallace, and Taylor. They reflect the values established in Northern California during the gold rush because today's Silicon Valley social media companies are imposing those secular values on the rest of America. Those of us who are believers in God, we need to loudly object and push back. I don't think Lewis Brinson's gonna send me a Christmas card after that. Maybe Instagram model Brittany Renner will. She's single again. Her and PJ Washington have split, and boy, do they have baby mama drama. Listen uh, for to those this. of you who have followed my work for any length of time, you know, I consider the HBO show The Wire television's Bible. The crime drama depicting the relationship amongst Baltimore police, politicians, drug users, and drug dealers. Yeah, it explains America. Jay, I hope you've seen, have you seen The Wire? I've definitely seen The Wire. It explains America, it's my Bible. I can pretty much analogize anything to The Wire. Today, I'll use the show to explain Instagram fitness model, Brittany Renner, NBA small forward, PJ Washington, NFL quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and the dangers of social media addiction. Renner, 29, and Washington, 22, are back in the celebrity gossip news cycle. A few months ago, the pair had a baby. A few weeks ago, Renner and Washington split as a couple. Yesterday, internet gossip spread that Washington would be forced to pay Renner 200,000 a month in child support. <laughs> That's some serious child support. Serious child support. Huggies right. is overpriced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Social media memes ran wild with the news, joking that Renner had scored a supermax thought contract from a naive professional athlete. An old video of Renner saying the easiest way for a woman to score a huge payday was to get knocked up by a dumb job. Take a listen for yourself. In my experience, the worst people to deal with are the athletes. None of them use condoms, really. So if y'all really want to try to come up off a check off a man, I mean, you could just an athlete. They're really done. <laughs> <laughs> she kept it real there. That's when keeping the wrong goes, or when keeping the real goes wrong, that may have been it. But the Ritter Washington news and the countless memes provoke, provoke me to join the tweet onslaught. I tweeted, quote, PJ Washington, Caught in the real trap house. But, for the grace of God, there go I. Four years ago, I used to spend 30 minutes a day looking at Britney's IG. 
All right, the tweet and admission formed the best kind of joke. Humor laced with a kernel of truth and soaked in self-deprecation. Some of you guys on Twitter took it way too seriously, but I'm gonna ignore you Twitter idiots. And go to my wire analogy. There are two problematic users in modern society, drug users and social media users. Both users chase the same dopamine high. In The Wire, the highest form of heroin was nicknamed WMD, a weapon of mass destruction. The same is true on social media corners. Women messaging directly, ha, that's the best high. When you see those three dots bubbling, you have the same excited anticipation the fictional junkie Bubbles had when he placed a needle deep inside a vein in his arm. You just lay back and wait for the high. If she never hits sin or the message is negative, you complain about the quality of the product and go buy dope on a different corner. Brittany Renner, you know who she is, Jay? Yes. Proposition, Proposition Joe, Prop Joe. She's a weapon of mass destruction. Her dope is straight off the boat from the Greeks. It's uncut. Brittany buys for a dollar and sells for two. The former Jackson State University soccer MVP started posting on Instagram eight or nine years ago under the name Bundle of Brittany. I can't remember when I discovered her, but it was probably around the time she was dating Colin Kaepernick back in 2014, before Cap turned woke. Back then, Cap was my favorite player, and good Lord, I love looking at pictures of Brittany. I exaggerated when I said I spent 30 minutes every day perusing her IG page, but once a month I did. I had an Instagram addiction. It was my porn hub. At one point, I followed probably 75 IG models. Bundle of Brittany was my favorite bundle. I bring all this up because I actually have sympathy for PJ Washington and to a lesser degree, Deshaun Watson. If I were in my early 20s, super wealthy, single, famous, and as attractive as I am now, I would likely be mainlining WMD. <laughs> it took 50 years of life experience for me to wean myself off Baby Got Back IG. No way would I have conquered my addiction at 25. Instagram is heroin. It's an incredible delusion that cheapens all forms of human interaction. The sexual component makes IG more addictive and harmful than even Twitter. Watson ruined his reputation and perhaps his career searching for rub and tug massage therapists on Instagram. A young kid with Monopoly money could satiate his lust simply by reaching for his cell phone and direct messaging the fitness model massage therapist of his choice. It's just too easy. It's just too tempting. Anything worth having should require some difficulty and discipline. Technology is removing difficulty and discipline from our lives. It's not improving our lives. Humans were meant to hunt and gather. We now Uber and DoorDash. I'm a symptom of an American reality. We're the most overweight place on earth. Relative strangers create children after swiping right on Tinder or connecting over DMs. Renner likely fished Washington out of her Instagram river. When Washington was a sophomore at the University of Kentucky, the then 27-year-old Renner started showing up at his basketball games decked out in Kentucky gear. 
she'd already been in relationships with or linked to former Jackson State quarterback Casey Thurl, NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, NBA players James Harden, Jamal Murray, and Ben Simmons, entertainers Little Uzi Vert, Drake, Trey Songs, Tiger, and Chris Brown. Why not me? Why am I not on that list? <laughs> I spent all that damn time on her Instagram feed. How come I'm not on the list? Brittany, holler at your... Oh, I'm joking. She just considered a thought, a new slang word for groupie. The letters stand for that hole over there. She posed naked on the cover of her 2019 book titled, Judge This Cover. She wrote explicitly about her illicit sexual lifestyle with high profile men. It's fair to blame Washington for allowing himself to get trapped by someone so open with their immorality. But Washington is just a kid. How would we view this situation if a 27-year-old male porn star targeted a female sophomore in college? I want to apologize for making excuses for Washington. I deeply apologize if this comes off like I'm excusing Watson's behavior. It's easy to point out Washington and Watson's failures. I'm writing this so we can assess some of the other factors in play. The phony social media world baits all of us into phony, casual relationships. But for the grace of God and these two or three extra pounds I'm carrying, there go I. Finally, let's get to Friday's fire starter when we address the reason Uncle Jimmy set out most of the week. Uncle Jimmy's got COVID, and I go through our long personal narrative to make a point about why I need to lose weight. My podcast sidekick, <clears throat> Uncle Jimmy contracted COVID this week. It's been a sobering, frustrating, and disconcerting experience, causing me to float between concern and anger. Uncle Jimmy isn't my uncle. We share no blood relationship. A love of laughter and comedic performance forged our familiar bond two decades ago. Uncle Jimmy called the morning radio show I hosted in Kansas City under the name Jimmy the Freak. He wanted to crack a joke about the Kansas City Chiefs, his favorite team. I don't remember the punchline. I remember laughing so hard that I asked the call screener to get Jimmy's phone number the next time he called the show. I wanted the freak to regularly crack jokes on my radio show. That was the beginning of an unlikely working relationship and friendship that quickly turned into a big brother, little brother connection. Jimmy is six years older than me, but I'm the big brother. He's half my size. Our backgrounds are disparate. Jimmy had no real relationship with his father. My dad was my idol and best friend. After age nine, Jimmy's grandmother raised him. He joined the Marines. He married, divorced, and fathered three daughters by age 30. When I met Jimmy, he worked as a nightclub DJ and sanded hardwood floors. He drank, smoked weed, and caroused excessively. He tagged himself the freak because he reveled in being seen as an inner city heartthrob and ladies man. His outlook on and approach to life differed significantly from my own. He believed racism defined his station in life. 
I told him his actions controlled his destiny and current circumstance. For the first 10 years of our friendship, we worked flawlessly together on air and battled ferociously over our contradictory worldviews off air. The contradictions made for terrific radio content. Jimmy's stereotypical point of view and life contrasted mightily with my own. I talked and wrote with the diction of a college graduate. I lived in the suburbs, socialized with the mayor, professional athletes, the city's business leaders, and was unburdened by the responsibilities of kids and baby mamas. Listeners to my radio show loved the repartee between Jimmy and I, but couldn't fully grasp the connection. Sometimes I couldn't either. Jimmy woke up every day trying to prove his loyalty to his black skin color and his loyalty to me for befriending him and giving him an opportunity to elevate his station. Once at a radio remote, Jimmy tried to fight a radio caller he believed had disrespected me earlier in the week or at some point or in a phone call. Jimmy yelled at me, you can't let that man disrespect you like that. I shouted back, how can someone I have no respect for disrespect me? The disagreement between Jimmy and I led to a long come to Jesus conversation between the two of us. Like a lot of black men, Jimmy cared way too much about the respect of others. I really only care about self-respect. About six years into our friendship, Jimmy fathered the first of his two sons. That took a real toll on our relationship. I nearly gave up on Jimmy. Thankfully, he didn't give up on himself. Those two boys are his greatest blessing and gave him a purpose in life. Living a life in service of those two kids changed Jimmy's worldview and made him a more responsible person. All this week, I've thought about his two sons, James and Jamil. Where would they be without their dad? How could they make it? That's why I floated between concern and anger since Jimmy contracted COVID. The concern is obvious. I work with Jimmy inside our Nashville studio every day. So do several other people. This weekend, our makeup artist is traveling to Rhode Island to visit family, including her 96-year-old grandmother. She's vaccinated, but she's justifiably paranoid about endangering her grandmother. I've had friends and family members contract COVID, but Jimmy's the first person I've known with the virus who I engage with on a daily basis, Monday through Friday. For the past 18 months, I've been reluctant to speak about COVID because I'm not confident in my beliefs. That's why I'm angry. Politics has compromised information, the medical industry, and the media to the point that no one really knows what to believe or trust when it comes to COVID. If political correctness forbids us from discussing the virus's origin, why should we believe our government officials are determined to seek causes and cures by any means necessary. Everything feels like political theater and agenda. Do masks help? Do vaccines work? Should we constantly wash our hands? Or is COVID just a roulette wheel striking its victims at random? 
Uncle Jimmy contracted it. I sit at a desk next to him for two hours, five days a week. He's at home coughing and battling a fever. I'm sitting at work fantasizing about a Snickers candy bar. Which brings me to my main point of anger. I'm angry with myself. The only thing I truly believe is that I'm in control of my destiny and I've jeopardized my destiny by being extremely irresponsible with my health. Gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. I've been in a lifelong fight with gluttony. I've won some battles, but I'm losing the war. I've loved everything about my move from Los Angeles to Nashville a year ago, except the impact it's had on my diet. Music City rekindled my love affair with fried foods. The move south slowed the momentum I built addressing my weight problem. Uncle Jimmy's COVID fight snapped me back to reality. He's the most loyal friend I've ever had. It feels like he took the coronavirus bullet for me. I have to repay him, myself, the rest of my family and friends by winning my war with gluttony. All right, hope you're enjoying your weekend and hope to see you on Monday when I start a new fire. This is Jason Whitlock. Have a great weekend, y'all.